Uh, if you'll take a look at your bulletins for just a moment, just a couple of things we want to point out to you this morning. Uh, first of all, we heard from our pastor. Uh, they'll be arriving back in Roanoke this evening around 6 or a little after from Romania. Uh, he said they had had a really good week over there. Uh, met a lot of uh, interesting students and a lot of good exchanges between them. And he just wants you to know that he loves you, he has missed you, and is looking forward to being back. And I'm sure the feelings are likewise. Also this morning, um, we're going to be uh, listening to our speaker, Dr. David Hirschman from Liberty University. And he tells me he was here about a year ago. And uh, we're glad to have him with us this morning. And we'll be hearing more from him in just a few moments. Well, good morning. Wow, it's a great joy to be with you today. Let me just kind of adjust this a little bit, and I'll make sure that I kind of speak in that. No, that's not going to work. Yeah, we'll put this there. Good deal. All right. I hope you're doing well. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today, and uh, I'm excited to see what God is doing here, because I believe he's doing something. Let me mention something else to you. I hope you that hope that you will um, participate in the... Uh, in the Christmas boxes, uh, I recall while uh, I was uh, listening to that great presentation and uh, in the video, Dr. Falwell used to say that evangelism is reaching every available person at every available time using every available means. And uh, and I just want to encourage you be a part of that and uh, and help bring uh, someone. Closer to Christ, uh, many will believe on Christ because of your work. So I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. God is doing some great things in the world today, and uh, I don't know if you are keeping up with it or not. Uh, but um, I, I think that uh, we are seeing some tremendous movements around the world today. I'm going to share a couple of those with you as uh, as we as I get into the message. But our, uh, our message is based on Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You're familiar with that. I'm almost positive that you are. Jesus said this, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now what we normally do, if you've been saved any length of time, we get so familiar with the scriptures, is what we do is we just start reading, and we read it, and yeah, I'm familiar with that. And, and we, 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 we pass right through it, and we, we don't grasp all that is there for us. So today's pur- my purpose in today is to take you back to something that perhaps you are familiar with and get you to look at it a little bit different. And if you are not familiar with it, to engage your thinking process in that and, uh, and really help you to squeeze it for all the juice that's there for you and me. And, uh, and I, out of all of this today, I hope that we will walk away encouraged at what God has already done is doing and wants to do. So we're going to look. The message today is the church as God designed it. Or God's design for the church. Uh, we're entering a time of confusion. I'll share that in just a moment. But let's bow together. Let's ask God to just open our hearts and minds. Uh, the, what's there for the scriptures is available for you and me. But what is necessary is that our hearts need to be open. They need to be prepared. We need to be uh, willing to let the Spirit of God interpret the, the Word of God to our hearts and minds so that we can really get what God has for us. So pray with me, won't you? Father, I thank you for this local body of believers. I thank you for all the years that this ministry represents. 
what you've done here in the past, what you're doing now, but Lord, not only that, but what you want to do in the future and how you're preparing this local body to be that effective instrument, vessel, tool in your hand to bring the truth to folks who desperately need it. So, Father, bless today. Open our hearts and our minds. May your spirit just simply bring the truth to us. And may we respond correctly. Do what you would have us to do today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of us are people that are fascinated by design. I'm one of those people. I started looking on the Apple website about six months ago when I first heard that there was a possibility of the Apple 5S. Are you with me in that? Anybody like that? I am fascinated by all things technical. I'm telling you, I had to, per- I had to just simply put my computer aside and I had to promise myself I'm not going to look today. If I looked for the first time, I would look a hundred times, like, when's the announcement coming? When's it going to come out? What Are they going to allow pre-orders? Because I'm fascinated by design. So, I got one. They find, you know, September 20th came. I waited up till midnight. Because I knew, I went down to my local Verizon, I'm a Verizon customer, I went down to my local Verizon store, I said, how many units are you getting? They said, one, I have to forget it. I'm not going to wait in line. You know, people wait in line for days ahead of time to get this. So I waited up and, and placed my order and like, yeah, it'll be shipped to you in 10 days. I said, I can't wait 10 days. <laughs> Why? Because I'm fascinated by the design. So I've got this neat little thing here, okay? It's got a thumb reader on it. Okay, you're not as excited as I am. (laughs) All I've got to do is put my thumb on it, and it recognizes my thumb, okay? And it goes wherever it was. And then I was looking there and, you know, and trying to remember what Dr. Fulwell said, and I just pulled it right up. I love, you know, I am one of those people, and I'm going to turn it off and put it away so I'm not fiddling with it, Okay. But I'm fascinated by design. I like to know how things work. I like to know why things work. I'm very, I'm inquisitive. I'm curious. I want to see it. I want to understand it. It's not enough for me, for someone to explain like, okay, do this and it does that. No, I want to know why it does that. And I have the same concept about scripture. Maybe you're one. Maybe, you, you know, every year, I remember when I was younger and the new car models would come out in August, September. I couldn't wait to see what the new design was. My wife and I like history, and one of our favorite places to go was Williamsburg, so every time we get a chance to do a little bit longer weekend, maybe a two and a half day weekend, if I can get out by lunchtime and we're ready to go pack, we'll zoom over there. And we like to walk through Colonial Williamsburg, and we like to see the design of the gardens. We went through the governor's palace, and we saw how, if you've been there, you know, how they took this sloping hill and they kind of terraced it and how they made gardens out of it. And I was just intrigued by the design. Many of us are intrigued by that design. So here's the point I want to make. Let's make the connection here this morning. When I say church and design, what do you think of? I take the word church, I take the word design, I link them together, 
And I'm asking you, when I think, when you and I think of the design of the church, what do you think of? Because some of us are going to think architecture, are we not? This is a beautiful building. I'm intrigued by design, building designs. My wife and I have had the opportunity over our married life, or, uh, you know, of, of, of building a couple homes and we look through books. Have you done that? There's too many books to look at. I mean, it's like, you've got to stop looking at books, hon. There's just too many, all right? But we're intrigued by design. So some of you are going to think architecture, and you're going to think of building design. Others of us are going to think of um, denomination. Denominations have designs. What they do, how they do, why they do, so and so forth. It's a design. Others of us are going to think of of location or size. You see, the word design means many things to many different people. It's really important that you and I understand this because if you haven't figured it out by now, ministry is changing, church is changing. What we call Christianity 20 to 25 years ago really doesn't look a whole lot in in, in the design of practice, how that all works out. It doesn't look the same anymore. Have you figured that out? I'm intrigued by this because I get the opportunity to influence students. I love that. We have almost 400 seminary students who study with us residentially. Dwarfed by 10,000 plus students who study with us in an online environment. We call it asynchronous. That means wherever you are in the world, you don't have to be at the same spot at the same time doing the same thing. You can tie in in an asynchronous fashion. And we have this wonderful God-given opportunity at Liberty Seminary as a part of Liberty University to train the next generation of leaders for ministry. But we are helping them to understand the design in the face of a what? Changing environment. I was intrigued recently by... Um, Rick Warren, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, Orange County. And some of us are not familiar that about 15 to 20 years ago, a new model, a new design entered our world. It's called the multi-campus church. Are you familiar with those? My little girl had the audacity to grow up on me. And get married and move away. <laughs> I asked her, I was like, like, why'd you have to grow up? Well, that's God's design. But she married this really great young man who's my son-in-law who works for a guy named Perry Noble who pastors um, New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. They're based in Anderson, but they have eight campuses across the state of South Carolina. God is moving in a wonderful way to take a people who have moved so far away from him that they no longer understand him. So God is employing new methods to bring these people back to himself. There's a guy down in Raleigh named J.D. Greer who operates five campuses in the greater Raleigh area. Andy Stanley down in out uh, greater Atlanta operates campuses across the country. Here's Rick Warren. He says, you know, we already have about 10 or 12 campuses in the United States. 
Here's where God is leading us. God is leading us into to, to a truly global expression of the church. So they are starting three new campuses. Hong Kong, China, Berlin, Germany, and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Now I have to chuckle to myself. When I wrote, when, when I meet folks in, in, and I understand it because I'm resistant to things too. But we sometimes think that God can't do certain things. But we readily admit that God can do anything, anywhere, any way, anytime He wants to through anyone who's willing to trust Him, right? Can God really do anything, any way, anywhere, anytime through anyone who will trust Him? And God's doing that. Because the design of the church has nothing to do with architecture. It has nothing to do with denomination. It has nothing to do with this or that or anything that we think it needs to have to do with. And that's why it's important, my dear friends, for you and me to really grasp Matthew 16, 18. And that's my job for you today. And I want us, as we get to the end of it, to really be encouraged and go forward. Jesus said, are you there, Matthew 16, 18? He's asked a question, and the question is this. Who do men say that I am? Ah, somebody people think you're this, some people think you're that. Here comes Peter, and here is this impetuous <laughs> disciple who is so... Prone to getting himself in trouble by saying stupid things. And he said something with absolute like profundity. If he would, if we can say that word. I'm not sure if that's a word. He said, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus commends him. And he says, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Flesh and blood couldn't have revealed. He didn't say that, but it's the understanding behind it. He said, it was God who revealed that to you. And then he goes on to say something very, very profound. And here's that statement. Upon this rock. Now our Roman Catholic friends will say the rock is Peter. But that's not the text. You and I have to interpret the text for what it says. And what the text says is that the statement that Peter said is the rock. Now Jesus will, 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 will refer to this back in Luke chapter 6 when he said, listen... Wise is the person who builds upon the rock, not the shifting sand. Sand shifts, rock is solid. And so he's drawing a parallel here, I believe, and he says, listen, upon this rock, who you say I am is what I'm going to build the church upon. And so I want to launch forward with this with you, and I hope you're taking some notes. Because what is God's design for the church? If it doesn't mean architecture, and it doesn't mean denomination, and it doesn't mean location, and it doesn't mean any number of things that we think it doesn't mean, that it does mean, what does the statement mean for you and me? And I'm going to break it down in ways that you and I can pack it up, put it in our pocket, take it with us, and look at it, review it, and go on. It means this. That God's design for the church is that it is built upon an unmovable foundation. Write that down. An unmovable foundation. Upon this rock. I'm going to take just a few minutes. Whenever I come to a church, I always say, now what time do you get finished? Because I have, (laughs) I've got a tendency, man, I can go on and on and on. And you guys would be so very gracious to say, go ahead and go on and on and on. But inside you're saying like, 
I really need to be done. All right, so I've got to move because I just noticed it's 10 up. Okay. If you would go to Israel and you would go to the north area and you would go to Caesarea Philippi, not Caesarea Maritime, which is on the Mediterranean coast, but Caesarea Philippi, which is up in the north, you would come to the headwaters of the portion of the Jordan River. And there you would find that at the Banias Springs, the water comes out and it is surrounded by a huge, and I'm not sorry, if I say huge, it's not even the, it's not even the correct word. But this huge outcropping of rock, which is really bedrock, which is exposed, and that's the setting for Matthew 16. And when Peter comes along and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, here's the master teacher who's going to use every surrounding influence that he can, and he's saying, listen, upon this rock, and everybody's going to turn around and they're going to see this huge rock. And they're going to greatly, they're going to understand without a shadow of a doubt that what he's saying upon this rock, what? Upon this unmovable foundation, because it's all around them. And you and I don't get that unless we go to Israel. Every believer ought to go to Israel at least once in their, in their life. Because you'll never read your Bible the same. So here's, let's ask the question. You're good students and you're going to say, okay, what makes it an unmovable foundation? I could see, say this, I could say, well, it's Jesus Christ. And I, you know, okay, we understand that, but we need to break it down further so that you really grasp it. It is an unmovable foundation because it's built upon the authority of Christ. Write down Matthew 28, 18. We always begin with Matthew 28, 19, don't we? The Great Commission. But that is coming after the statement of Matthew chapter 18, where he says this. All authority is given to me. How much authority does Jesus have, dear friends? All of it. All of it in the United States? No, all of it in Europe? All of it in the Western Hemisphere? Everywhere? No, in the entire creation, he has how much authority? All of it. And so this, it is an unmovable foundation because it's built upon his authority. What authority does he have? I'm just going to move through this quickly. He has the authority to control nature. He has the authority to still storms. I like what we see here when we move into Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6. Just write it down. We'll look at it later. He has the authority to modify. Ready? Religious interpretation. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's walking along in the Beatitudes, the Similitudes, and all of those things, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, you have heard it said. And he says that about three, four, or five times. But it's always conditioned by a subsequent phrase. He says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Do you really grasp what he's doing? He is saying that his authority is greater than the word as it was interpreted in that day. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you. And he goes on and he says that and he says that and he says it over and over again. You see, the church is by design set upon an unmovable foundation of Jesus Christ. And it is such because it is based upon his authority. But it's not only that, and there's more to that as well. The authority to cast out demons, the authority to walk on water, the authority to do many things that were recorded here in the scriptures. But it's also not only on his authority, but on his power. What power did Jesus have? Well, 
He had the power to heal, didn't he? We see him healing blind people. We see him healing leprous people. We see him healing women who are bent over. We see him healing men with, with, with paralyzed hands and arms. He's got power. He's got power to forgive sin, doesn't he? Do you remember that they took the man there in Capernaum? His friends took the man and they let him down through the roof. And there he says, sir, your sins are forgiven you. And he caused this great hubbub. Who is this? What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Hey, get up. Walk. May I say this? That Jesus Christ is without a doubt the most profound figure to ever walk on human on earth, earthly soil. And if we could just help the world to see that, they would be convinced without a shadow of a doubt. But here you and I, we are this local body of Christ. We believe we're a church. But sometimes we lose sight of this unmovable foundation built upon the authority and the power. Let me go on. The promises of Christ. He made some promises, didn't he? John 3.16. Salvation. How about safety? John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give to them eternal life. And they follow me. And he says, oh, so many other things. He says, John chapter 17. I will pray the Father and he will send to you another comforter. And that he might be with you and he will be what? In you. The promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I like John 14, don't you? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, this unmovable foundation is not, it's insufficient to simply say an unmovable. We have to explain why it's an unmovable foundation. You and I are built upon that unmovable foundation, made so by the authority, the power, the promises, and the ultimate authentication, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the point that I want to make is, what does that mean to you and me? You see, we're not just here doing our own thing. We're here pushing forward the cause of God in this world. I, I like to challenge folks from time to time and say, what is God doing? Is God in heaven playing the equivalent of angry birds? You know? Is God bored waiting for the clock of time to wind down till he can pick? No. God is busy. What is God busy doing? Like, I would leave this with you and If I ever have the chance to come back, I'll try to remember to explain. God is busy restoring the original design. God is busy restoring the original design. What was the original design? God with his creation. How much of his creation was created in his own image? Just you and me. What is God's great desire? To do life with you and me. And so what we see here is a foreshadowing of what will be, which is the fulfillment of once what was once. 
the design of the church. First of all, we got to move quickly. It is built upon an unmovable foundation. But he goes on to say this. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is where I get in trouble. But it's normally okay because I'm only here a week. (laughs) You see, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says this. That he purchased the church of God with what? His own blood. You see, we see the church is not only built, the design of the church is not only that it has an uh, an unmovable foundation, but it is his prized possession. It is his prized possession. Quick story, my wife and I left Liberty after being early students in the late 70s and returned to our home in southern Maryland, which is about an hour south of Washington, D.C., and if you know where Fredericksburg, Virginia is, you draw a line straight across across the Potomac River, and where those two lines intersect, you're in the heart of southern Maryland, entirely different from the rest of the state, which most of us think somebody should ship off to Massachusetts. Anyway. (laughs) And there we started a church. Now, it's a great thing when you start the church. When you're the founder of the church, you get to set it up your way. And so we did things the way I thought they ought to be done. And, of course, I learned it from my liberty studies, so on and so forth. But then, you know, you don't have to deal with all the, like, well, where I used to go, we used to do it this way. My answer was, you know, we don't do it that way here. And it was incredible. We stayed there from 1982 to 2005. Had a wonderful time. But looking back, I must have been an arrogant son of a gun. I admit that. I must have been really arrogant because I thought I knew all the answers and I thought I knew how it ought to be done. And I'm spending the rest of my life life teaching young men and women who go out to start churches, don't do that. Because the church doesn't belong to you. Okay? The church doesn't belong. Who does the church belong to? I can tell you this. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It doesn't belong to the trustees. Here's how you get in trouble. It doesn't belong to the pastor. It doesn't even belong to you as a congregation because in our baptistic polity, we think congregational rule means that we own the church. No, the church is owned by the one who purchased it, right? The one who accomplished the transaction, and the transaction was what? What was the payment of the transaction? The life. Leviticus 17 says, life is in the blood. Wonderful complimenting back and forth between the Old and the New Testaments. So the one who owns the church is the one who paid for it. Who is that? Say his name. Jesus Jesus Christ. So he owns it. Now what is he doing? He's loving and caring for it. He's referred to as the high priest. He's referred to as the advocate. He's referred to as the mediator. He's referred to as the one who's seated at the right hand. It's his prized possession. The design of the church is it's his prized possession. Therefore, he he alone has the right to direct its efforts. I'm moving quickly. And I'm sorry that I used so much time in the introduction. But when you get to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, what you see is the owner telling the steward what he wants and what he likes and what he doesn't like. We would all be well to remember 
that probably our, our, our most beneficial time is when we spend time in prayer saying, Oh God, what do you want to do? And that's what we see in Acts chapter 1, don't we? The history book of the church. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. They're spending their time in prayer. They're spending their time together. They're breaking bread. They're rejoicing at the remembrance of the master who died for them. And when it comes around to saying, who's going to be the replacement one for this Judas? We, we need a replacement. They all came together and they spread all of it before God. And I say, God, now show, show us who you've already chosen. Can I tell you this? We would avoid all sorts of problems and, tri- and strife and turmoil if we would just say, God, will you tell, us, tell us what you want to do. Because the church, by design, is what? The prized possession of Christ. He goes on and he says this. Okay, upon this rock I will build my church. And then he says before that, he says, I will build. So we see the church by design has his personal involvement. Now I realize I'm past time, so I want to just move quickly. It has his personal involvement. I will build my church. You see, here's where we are. And this is where... Because of our Americanism, you know, we think if we just work harder, we can build our church. If we just employ this methodology, uh, the church will grow. If we just do this, you know, we're, we're into methods, aren't we? We're into things. God is into people. God knows how to build people. God knows how to add people. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, And God added to the church, what's the next word? Daily, such as should be saved. I don't see a group of people going out saying like, oh, we got we to get more people into church. Now, do I believe in getting more people into church? Yes. Okay? But I believe in letting God Getting people in the church. Does that exempt me from the Great Commission and evangelism? No way. Because in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus gave us the instructions. And after he gave us the instructions, he turned around and went up. What were those instructions? I rephrased them because I believe that we will not reach the current generation of people using language that is very old. Now that's got me in trouble with the other half of people I haven't offended you. You see, you cannot reach. Listen, you need to be up to date on what's going on. One third of current evangelical millennials. What's a millennial? The people that are born between the 80s and wherever turn of the century. The millennial generation, that generation that's becoming behind me to take over the leadership of so many things. One third of evangelicals do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Wow, we got a job to do. And so I teach them. I say, don't use language that people don't understand. So here's Acts chapter 1 in Hirschman's version. You ready? Just tell them about me. Wherever you are, wherever you go, wherever you end up, and guess what? I'll help you. You and I are responsible to simply tell. God takes over from there. Paul will write, and he said, listen, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That is so freeing. That is so liberating. You and I are not responsible for the result, but we are responsible to do our part. And if you and I do our part, God 
will add to the church. He doesn't. He does okay? He does. My wife and I started with 20 people in the living room of the house. And we saw God add exponentially. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people added to the church over that time. And God will do it here too. So God adds people to the church. He builds people. Romans chapter 12. He transforms people. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. You and I can be confident that he who began the work will be, will, will be sure to complete it. Romans eight twenty eight and 29. For whom he foreknew, the same did he predetermine that they should look exactly like Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing. God is adding to the church. God is building people in the church. And what's the point for you and me? Is that by design, this is something that will grow if we just do our part. Now let me give you the last thing. I apologize, we've moved so very fast. Jesus said this, upon this rock. What does that mean? That the church by design has an unmovable foundation. Do you know how many underground believers there are in North Korea? You know how many unbelievable, how, how many, how many believers there are in China? Places of great persecution. People think they can get rid of the church. If they just persecute the church, they can get rid of the church. Here's what happens. When persecution comes, the church gets stronger. Why? Because you can't destroy the foundation. You cannot. Uh, upon this rock, an unmovable foundation, I will build my church, his personal possession, his prized possession, his personal involvement, and then this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is the church? The church by design is the invincible extension of Jesus Christ. You and I are the invincible extension of Jesus Christ. For what purpose? Well, any number of different purposes. Like, like the Christmas boxes. To demonstrate the love of God. We are living in a society who has so corrupted the word love that they don't know what love is. They think love is some physical act. They think love is gratuitous. They think they, they, they have so messed it up. And so what you and I are, you and I are here as the invisible extension of Jesus Christ to show the world what real love is. Real love forgives. Real love accepts. First Corinthians 13, it's patient. It's loving. It's kind. It's all of those things. So we show folks, we have this great privilege to show folks what the love of God is. And then to reveal God's power. How do we reveal God's power? God takes corruptible people, transforms them. I would hope, dare say, that there are some folks here who God has saved your marriage. He's not only saved your soul, but God has saved your marriage. God has saved your kids, your family. And what was hell-bent for destruction, God turned around. You know, the world is just waiting to see that. The world is waiting to see the, the truth. And you and I have this great privilege to take the truth to the world. So here you are, design. I'll finish up where I started. If I take the church... The word church, and I take the word design, and I put them together. What do you think of? Please don't think of architecture. Don't think of denomination. Don't think of this or any of those things. Think of this. This is something that by design, God says, cannot be moved. 
belongs to Jesus Christ. He himself will build it. And it becomes the invincible extension of God himself. Is that you folks? Is that me? I strive to make it me. What would happen if we all strove to make it us? What could we do? What could God do through us in this world? Let's bow together. Our musicians are coming. We're going to prepare our hearts to respond. If nothing else, I hope God will use this to encourage you as a body of believers. This is who you are. By God's design, this is what God wants to make you. And so let's remember. Let's remember. And you're here this morning and you say, I never heard anything like Nobody ever unpacked that for me before. And God has spoken to your heart. You say, this is going to change the way I see my church. This is going to change the way I work in my church. I want to be a, a part of something that God is using by design. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that's where it begins. He loves you. He's waiting for you. God wants you to spend eternity with Him And he's already made all the arrangements. All you have to do is accept his gift. Heavenly Father, if there's someone here this morning and they've never trusted Jesus, help them to see and understand how much you love them, how much you desire to have them with you, and that they can receive your free gift of salvation right now if they'll simply respond to you. Work in this church, O Lord, that it might be an effective tool in your hand. For your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name.